Did you? Did I ever tell you about? Uh, uh, remember Lisa? How her back was healed. For those of you who don't know, she was in a car accident and had a bunch of back problems. And so for months and months and months, pain, 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 pain. And uh, uh, they prayed for Lisa. She felt her back, you know, kind of adjust. No pain, can sleep, we're good. You know, no, no medications and stuff like that. Well, then like, what was it, a couple weeks later or something like that, she had some dislocated thumb joint. You couldn't see her thumb joint here and then they prayed for went right into place it's there she can move the thumb i mean man i'm thinking hey line up get some more <laughs> <You know? laughs> let's not stop at one amen all right good stuff turn with me to proverbs chapter five look at some awesome truth here this morning i'm excited about this one because i believe that um the lord wants to speak to you and give you a a picture we want to do. We're, we're finishing our series called Winning the Battle for Purity. And we're going to look at chapter 5. I'm going to read a bunch of verses, chapter, uh, verse 1 through 19. So stick with me or you can follow on the screen or you can read along in your Bible. And, um, <clears throat> and I want to unpack some things for you today because I believe the Lord wants to speak to us. All right. Verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, it is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets? your streams of water in the public squares. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. We've been in this series called Winning the Battle for Purity, and as many of you remember, we are focused on this issue of personal purity. We've been talking about how to gain victory over lust and sexual sin and things like that. We have not really gotten into um, you know, issues of social justice like I would like to maybe in a future series. We haven't really gotten into maybe uh, some of the more relational dynamics to this issue of purity. But we have specifically said that we are talking about gaining victory, winning and, and, and gaining victory and getting free from uh, sexual addictions and sexual sins and lust and things like that. And of course, the primary reason we've been doing this is because of the destruction that sexual sins particularly bring to 
our marriages, to families, to society. If you were to just think about the brokenness that's in our society, it has so much to do uh, with this issue of sex. All right? Not to... Uh, all right, yeah, that's pretty straightforward. So, basically, we've been saying, look, we need to win this battle. I hate that phrase... Uh, uh, well, I don't, def- I don't hate it, but I don't really like the way people use it. Uh, you know, every man's battle, you know. Well, you know, men are just more visual and all, and we have this culture that's all messed up, and it's just hard to walk in purity. Uh, we don't cope with our problems around here. We gain victory over them. And so we've gone into the Scriptures to see surefire strategies from God, commandments from our Commander-in-Chief, our Lord Jesus Christ, on how we can walk in victory purity and freedom. And we've looked at defensive strategies where basically we need to put guards on our eyes and our ears. We need to defend against certain things and basically cut off the behavior. And uh, we've also talked about offensive strategies so that we need to apply offensive strategies of just, you know, knowing who we are in Christ, uh, uh, satisfying our hearts on the pleasures of God, which we talked about last week. And these very things, these offensive strategies are the things that move us deeper and deeper into wholeness and, and, and purity. But, um, today I want to talk to us about God's plan for marriage, or, or really maybe even more specifically, God's blessing that is in, on purity. God's blessing that is on purity in the context of marriage. <clears throat> See, there's a lot of people who think that um, when we talk about purity... The, the idea, you know, you just throw out the word purity, and a lot of people think by that we now mean prudish. Or boring. You know, we th- people think purity is like, like Christians are like somehow anti-pleasure. Or anti-fun. You know, right? That, that lie of just, you know, like, uh, you know, you get, like God's a killjoy. Or, or Christianity is, is, is not fun or something like that. But it's absolutely the opposite. Think about the word purity, for example. What does the word purity even mean? If something is pure... It's simply undefiled, undiluted, right? You have a glass of, of wine, it's, it's pure. You start pouring water into it, it's not going to taste the same. It's not, it's not, you're not going to have the same kinds of, uh, of, of enjoyment from, from that glass of wine. Same thing, you know, in fact, impurity is even worse than that. We, it, the, 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 the lie is that, hey, here, what we read right here in verse... Uh, in verse 5, for the lips of an adulterous trip honey, and her speech, speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. See, the lie of the enemy is to hold out this false pleasure and to say, hey, it's honey, it's sweet, it's smooth. And the reality is it's smooth going down, but it's poison, it's death, it's sharp as a double-edged sword to cut you and to destroy you. The scriptures tell us that sexual sin is, is among the worst, not because, uh, it's simply because it's more destructive to our relationships and even to our own self. And so the enemy uses this base, bait and switch tactic, doesn't he? Right? Hold out the promise of, 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 uh, of pleasure, hold out the promise of life, hold out the promise of this being sweet and smooth, and then bait and switch, boom, sharp as a double-edged sword, it brings death. But again, back to the word purity, it simply means undefiled, unmixed, undiluted. And so the reality is, is that purity, for us who are Christ followers, purity uh, is referring 
to simply going to God's original design for marriage, original design for our bodies, original design for this thing that he created called sex, and it's God's original plan, and it simply is this, undiluted pleasure, unpoisoned, undefiled pleasure. God is, is the author of these things. He's the creator of sex. He made the plumbing. He knows how it works. Right? He put everything where it was supposed to be. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Down to every last nerve. Yeah? You comfortable yet? He designed it. And of course, he designed not just our physical bodies, but our soul, our emotions, our mind. He created us to be interwoven in relationship to one another, right? So God designed this whole thing. So when we're talking about purity, we're talking about God's best. And Proverbs 5 basically is going to help us to see this. Proverbs 5 is, design, is laid out, verse 1 through 14 is what I would call out of bounds, and verses 15 through 19 is what I would call inbounds. See, we've been talking about offensive and defensive strategies, how to win the battle or win the game, if you will, how to score. And I remember, at the, if you remember at the beginning of the series, I told you, I'm going to tell you how to score. I was serious. And here's the deal. All that God is saying here in Proverbs 5 and all that really he says in terms of what he says not to do and what he says to do is God's way of keeping you in bounds so you can play the game. Right? How can you play the game? How can you win? How can you score if you're out of bounds? That's what God is trying to communicate here, especially in Proverbs 5. We're going to look at this real, a little bit more detailed. So what he's trying to communicate to us is, you know, it's like in any sports game. The moment you go out of bounds, you're disqualified from that play. You're no longer a part of the game that's being played. You've stepped out of bounds. And we said this last week, that the, the tragedy, the tra- well, I can't even say that word. You, you can say it. The tra- tragedy, the tragedy of impurity isn't just that it brings death. It's that we're missing out. On the life. It's not just that it brings destruction. It's what you're missing out on. And so we want to see what the end zone is. What I said last week. We want to see the vision. We want to see the goal. We want to see what God has for us. And if you're single, you need to see this. And you need to know what's inbounds and out of bounds. And if you're married, you need to see this. And you need to know what's inbounds and out of bounds. So no one gets to check out on me. All right? You need to stick with me because this is exactly what we need to hear. And what God wants for us is to know how to play the game. He wants to teach us how to stay in bounds so that we can experience the pleasures for which he created us for. The undiluted, undefiled pleasures, number one, of God. Remember last week we talked about that? The pleasures of God where he satisfies us. That's the greatest reward. That's number one. But also the pleasures of intimacy in the context of marriage. Did you know that um, people have done a number of studies 
on uh, who enjoys the most pleasure in marriage or even just in sexual gratification in that sense. And uh, this magazine back in the day, a little while ago, Red Book Magazine did this survey of all these women to find out which women were experiencing the greatest pleasure, right? The greatest frequency as well as intensity in terms of sex, the pleasures of sex. All right. They had to do the study more than once because they did not believe what they found out. And others have redone this study and they continue to find the same thing. And they, I mean, drastic, like, you know, when statistics are like real small margin of difference, not a big deal, who cares? But it was so obvious and in Red Book Magazine, they published this in the magazine, and they said that religious women, by far, experience greater frequency and intensity of sexual pleasures. By far. Like, now, let me tell you something. I don't need statistics. All right. Hey, I've been a youth pastor before. (laughs) I don't need statistics, and I hope that you do not as well as a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower. The reality of what I'm going to talk to you about today is simply this. I'm not really going to, well, I'm going to talk about sex, but really this isn't about sex. Listen to me. This is about whether or not you believe the word of God. This is the reality, and I said this at the beginning of the series, if you don't want to please God, you won't even start this. You won't even even get this. The bottom line of what I'm going to talk about is whether or not you believe God's word. Whether or not his promises are true. But it's hilarious how our broken society continues to be so dumbfounded. Right? The bait and switch. Sexual revolution. Free love. Hey, got to test drive the car, right? Got to make sure if we're compatible. You know? Hey, if we love each other, why can't we? Right? We're grown adults. We're mature. We can do this. We can do that. This is what we hold out to one another. This is the lie that our culture holds out to us. Right? Sexual revolution. Oh, yeah. And 30 years later, or more than 30 years later after the sexual revolution, our culture is kicking itself. Kicking itself. Listen to what Proverbs says. Listen to what, uh, right? She holds out in verse 3. And of course, by adulteress, this is referring specifically, you know, the the context, if you will, specific context is a a, a father speaking to his son. But really, the principles would apply really to either gender, okay? But here it says, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smooth, smoother than oil. But in the end, it is bitter as gold, sharp as a double-edged sword. Look with me down in verse uh, 9. Look at the consequences here. Lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end, at the end, at the end of your life, You will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction at the end of your life. That's sad. That is sad. 
But that is exactly what our culture has done. Our culture has said, forget God's ways. Forget God's standards, right? He's just a killjoy. We've thrown that off and run headlong into whatever we'd like to do, believing this lie. It's all oh, smoother than honey. It's honey. It's sweet. It's good. See, a fool will do what he thinks is right or what she thinks is right and do what's right there in front of them for instant gratification without any regard of what, how it affects, will affect them tomorrow or the next day or 10 years or 20 years later. A fool will only do what is right there in front of them without any regard of how it affects other people. Right? And a fool has to wait till the end of their life. Did you hear what, what Proverbs says? At the end of your life, you'll kick yourself. You'll realize what was going on. See, the effects take time. But the consequences are real. But a wise person will think all the way down the road and make decisions about the end in mind. That is the difference between a fool and a wise person. And our culture has basically traded the, the, the deep, pure pleasures of what God has for them. Traded for the instant gratification and the selfish pleasures. And so by stepping out of bounds, we're missing out on what God has. <clears throat> imagine a man, imagine a contractor, and... Uh, He's going to build this big building and he's going to, uh, he starts building this, you know, huge building and, and, he, and he gets into the project and, you know, he's cutting corners. He's not being totally, you know, above board, if you will. And some people bring him some, some news that, you know, you're on a faulty foundation here. There's some real issues with this foundation and they need to be dealt with. So some of the engineers bring these, this information and this contractor kind of just, happens to destroy those documents and just smooth it over, right? Make it look like the foundation's fine, do a few little things, and just kind of move on through, disregarding the warning, disregarding the reality that the foundation has a problem, okay? Moves on through, gets the project done, he gets his, yeah? Why? Why would somebody do that? They want the money, right? Short win, Long loss, right? You win in the short game, you lose in the long game. So 10 years go down the road, 20 years go down the road. It's called false security, isn't it? Complacency. Hey, he's rich. His business has grown. He's living it up. Everything's fine. Until something happens to that facility, until the foundation begins to be exposed as the building has problems, people begin to do research People begin to find out what's going on. They do inquiries. You can always trace this stuff, right? And you find out. Somebody finds out. Oh, wait a minute. Somebody disregarded the warning. Right? And now Mr. Contractor is in jail. He's lost his honor. He's lost his money. And now he's in bondage. Win in the short, lose in the long. Do you see what I'm saying? 
That's what people do for selfish instant gratification. Let me get mine, disregarding the warning, disregarding the foundation that is going to crumble. And the price will be paid. It will catch up one of these days. It's, It's interesting to me that you can read the statistics... Again, just statistics, you know, like premarital sex. I mean, statistically, people will people uh, survey, you know, married women who who, who slept, with, you know, before before they were married, and just just on average, uh, but more predominant, a dissatisfaction in their current marriage because of that premarital sex, or even cohabiting. It just blows my mind that people don't see it. By far, people who cohabit, there is a greater uh, uh, tendency towards violence. And, and people who cohabit are twice as likely to get a divorce. And yet, our, our, our generation, my generation specifically, right, this, this up-and-coming generation, looks at all the problems, right, looks at the divorce, looks at the, 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 the adultery, looks at all this junk out there, that we can thank the, you know, sexual revolution for, right? We look at all that, and our generation goes, oh, that's not good. Let's cohabit. Let's do that. Yeah, let's not, let's not, let's not, let's not do the marriage thing, because that's, that's the problem. The marriage is the problem. Uh, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's the cohabiting. It's the sex before marriage. You see, what's happening is you're, we're, we're sowing over here and we're reaping over here. And it just blows my mind that my generation would then say, oh, let's cohabit and not even look at the obvious facts. Obvious. Right? We're just like the people of Israel. Worship idols, sin, death, because sin always brings death. Blame God, go to my idol, sin some more, death, blame God, go to my idol. It's like, you ever read the Old Testament? You should read it sometime. It's like, what are you thinking? Right? I teach, I, I've often taught uh, an introduction to biblical literature, and people will read the Old Testament for the first time. And literally, students, these Israelites are stupid, and I'm just hoping that they get the point. <laughs> Did you not... Did you not? Did you forget the Bible's a mirror, right? Do Do you see what's going on here? It's this like cycle of unrepentance, right? We just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into the problem because we never deal with the real issue, and that, of course, is that we don't believe God. We don't believe that He is holding out something better, and so. We sell out on the short and we lose in the long. <clears throat> Real briefly, uh, my intention even this morning isn't even so much to convince you to be pure or something like that. But I want to help you to understand what is out of bounds and what is in bounds. And then, of course, why to stay in bounds. So really briefly, for those of you who are single or, or dating, what exactly does the Scripture say are out of bounds? Well, it makes it pretty clear in the Scriptures, and there's a lot of Scriptures, and I'm just going to give you a couple today. And uh, like I often say, just read the Bible. <laughs> I, I hear people say, where in the Bible does it really say you can't have sex before marriage? And, you know, and 
you know, how far can you really go and all this stuff. And I'm like, you don't read it, do you? You don't read it. You just talk about it. You go and study it at a Bible college, but you don't read it, do you? Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. The word adulterer obviously referring to people who would have extramarital affairs. The word sexual immoral, simply the word fornication, basically everything else. The Bible makes it really clear, and there is some other description I'll give you, that basically anything outside of the covenant of marriage, anything outside of commitment is out of bounds. That you've already gone out of bounds. And the reason why is because sex is intended to be mutual and in the context of a covenant or a commitment of marriage. And we'll see that in the next verses soon. And so the question is, what is out of bounds? All that stuff before marriage. So then you're dating and you're thinking, well, how far is too far, right? Well, first I'd like to say, if you're asking that question... You're asking the wrong question. You probably already have a problem. Number one, Jesus says that if you lust in your thinking, right? So if you're fantasizing about anyone or especially that person's not your uh, spouse, and if you're not married to them, so even like the person you're dating, and you're fantasizing about them, Jesus says if you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So let me just tell you right now, What's out of bounds? What do you have? If you, how far is too far? Yeah, you've already gone too far. <laughs> if you're even thinking about it, Jesus says, you've already gone too far. And there's, of course, a number of reasons why. But uh, uh, one, because you will act on how you think. And number two is, whatever, has, whatever you're gazing on, we talked about this last week, and we'll look at the principle, whatever you're gazing on has your affection. And God cares about your heart. And so number one, it's even in your mind. Not even to cross that line of fantasizing. Not even to cross that line in that dating relationship in that regard. But also Song of Songs 2.7 says this. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Let me just give it to you the way I give it to people. Don't rev the engine. Any revving of the engine. Any doing things that lead to other things. Off limits, the Bible says. Completely off limits. Other scriptures make it clear that everything from the neck down, off limits. Caressing, rubbing, full-on embracing. You keep going down the line. (laughs) All off limits. No touching. In fact, even French kissing and things like that, off limits. Why? Because you're revving the engine. And the scriptures make it very clear that these things are reserved for marriage. And I could, like I said, I'd give you ten more scriptures, but for those of you looking for a loophole, wouldn't matter. <laughs> you want a loophole? Go ahead, go through the loophole. Call the noose. No, okay, <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> if you don't want to do God's will, you just, you just won't do it, and you'll, you'll, it's your choice. But if you want to know what God says, this is exactly what he says. He says, keep the marriage bed pure. He says, no fornication. He says, don't even arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Holding hands, you know, appropriate hugging, 
appropriate kissing, that's all good in a dating relationship as you're moving towards marriage. I, I wholly believe people should be moving towards that <clears throat> if they're going to start being serious in that regard. But this is why things like masturbation or pornography are out of bounds because you're fantasizing, you're committing adultery because masturbation is ultimately fornification. You're enjoying yourself, all right? There's no mutual enjoyment going on, which is what sex is all about. It's about mutual enjoyment between two people who have covenanted their life with a lifelong exclusive relationship. Anything, listen to me, anything outside of lifelong, exclusive, mutual enjoyment is out of God's bounds. Let's look in verse 14, or verse 15. Listen to what it says. This is the inbounds. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets and your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Number one, that idea of cistern or well or fountain. This is a picture of the marriage. The fountain is not the wife. The fountain is not the husband. The fountain is not the well. The fountain is not, I'm sorry, the, the, fount, the well is not the husband. The well is not the wife. It's the marriage. These are pictures of what we call mutual mutuality or mutual enjoyment. I'd really encourage you to write that word down and to begin to think about this. That anything, like I said, outside of this mutual enjoyment is out of bounds. Listen to what it says. Should your springs overflow in the streets and your streams of water in the public squares, you are to share this enjoyment. You are to share this pleasure together, and it is about you together, and it is about the, the serving of one another together, and not about one person. And so even, for example, and I'm not trying to be redundant, but really to make a point here, but so even masturbation in the context of, uh, of marriage, you are robbing your spouse. You are spilling your sexual energy, what is meant to be reserved to serve your spouse, what is meant to be enjoyed together, you are giving away. If you're a Christ follower, you don't belong to yourself anymore anyways. You belong to Jesus Christ, and your body is to be a weapon of righteousness. In fact, marriage is simply God's tool to help you die to yourself. And learn how to live for someone else and to serve someone else. Yeah, that's right. Marriage is a cross. <laughs> you want to know how to enjoy the greatest pleasures in terms of the earthly relationship called marriage? You die to yourself and you learn to serve. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 7 says. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 7 says this. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. 
and for a time so that you may be devoted so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Hebrews 13:4 Keep the marriage bed pure. Pornography has no place in the marriage bed. Whatever you gaze upon, that thing will have your affections. And what the scriptures are telling us is that we need to make a choice to give ourselves fully to this person that we've made a lifelong exclusive covenant to. Anything outside of that mutual enjoyment is selfishness and is sin. Which also means that if, for example, and this does happen in marriage, that if sex becomes about that one person, right? About me getting mine. Or about somebody making the other person do certain things that, that are just not right. It happens. That is wrong. That is out of bounds. Because it has to be mutual. It is about the mutual enjoyment of one another. It is about serving, not taking. I, I remember when I was a young believer, I, I thought this was silly. Uh, other peers, never, I don't think anyone from, never a leader, oh, maybe they did, maybe they learned it from a youth pastor, but never the word, that's for sure, would say to me, peers would say, you can only lust after your wife. That's ridiculous. Lust is always lust. It is always taking. In fact, I would even say to men, you need to guard your heart against fantasizing, obviously about other people, but even your own wife, you need to be careful. Why? Because fantasizing is still living in a fake world. I don't mean you can't think about your wife, get a picture out, you know, that kind of thing. But what I'm trying to get at is that if you are giving yourself away over here, then you're not reserving it for your spouse. What we need to learn how to do, men, is give ourselves, women, give ourselves to our spouse, and wait for them. See, I know some of you are single and you're thinking, oh yeah, it's not that hard when you're married. No, actually, there's a lot of hurdles. There's a lot of issues that have to be overcome. The reality is, in marriage, it's a very intimate subject, which is why you're all quiet, and you have to be able to talk about it. You have to be able to work through conflicts. There are seasons where, where you've got to work through things, and the reality is, you have to still wait. See, why is it that God would give young people hormones and expect them to wait? Why? So that you'll learn self-control, die to yourself before you get married, so you can actually be that way when you're married. Does that make sense? See, so many young people think, when I get married, then my sexual addiction will be satisfied. No, it won't. You could be married to the greatest looking person in the whole entire world. And if you're an addict, you're still going to be an addict. You struggle, you, you're giving yourself away to other things. You're still going to give yourself away to those other things. That's why waiting is so important. And is it really about the waiting as a single person? No. You're just staying in bounds. You're just keeping, think about it, the pleasure, the purest. Undiluted, undefiled pleasure. That's really all that you're doing in terms of when we say waiting. <clears throat> I also want to note that 1 Corinthians 7, it says that it's the duty of the husband and the duty of the wife. It literally means that we have something that we owe our husband or our wife. 
See, every one of us have needs. And God recognize, recognizes even this, this issue as a need. And we are, to, we are literally, oh, we are literally in debt to our spouse to serve them. And of course, I love how Paul puts it because, you know, he doesn't just say, you know, wives, you belong to your husbands, right? This is not some male chauvinistic thing at all. Paul says, no, you belong to each other. You're to serve one another. It means both people have to die. It means both people have to come to a different way of thinking about sex. So many of us think sex is about me getting some instant gratification, right? And we believe the lie of Hollywood, that bait and switch, that it's about this like exotic high. One of the reasons why I believe that Christians who are, who are, who are do, doing it God's way enjoy this deep pleasure is because it's undiluted, un, undefiled, and because we're not addicted to that selfish pleasure. We haven't bought into the lie of Hollywood's, you know, ooh, get this thing going on over here. No. What is the greatest pleasure? It's that it's mutual. It's that it's about relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about enjoying one another. So the, the pleasure goes much deeper than any kind of physical thing. In fact, Sex is simply just an expression of intimacy. It's an expression of something much deeper that's going on. I love uh, in Song of Songs, near the end, I can't remember which verse, she says to the, to the, to the bridegroom, the, the bride says to the bridegroom, his de- uh, I am my beloved and his desire is for me. I am my beloved and his desire is for me. There's this confidence in her. And there's this enjoyment there. <clears throat> Look at these in verse 18. I believe these are commands. These are our duty. And it says here, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Do you want to know how to experience what God has for you in marriage? You make the choice says right here, if you'll do this, if you'll obey those commands, if you fulfill your duty, that is what you'll, that's what you'll have. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. <clears throat> I don't know, you hear, you hear people talk about, uh, hey, I, I'm just looking at other menus, right? I can look, right? I ain't eating, I'm just looking. No, whatever you gaze at has your affection. Let me tell you, you look at one menu, you eat from one menu. And what the scriptures are actually telling us right here is that, is that this is the greatest pleasure. That if you will stick to one menu your whole life, lifelong exclusive commitment to this one person, the pleasure just gets better and better and better and better. The relationship goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. That it gets better. What did, what, did, what did the out-of-bounds tell us in, in the earlier in Proverbs 5? At the end, you'll groan as your body will be spent. Right? You've got the short game, but you'll lose on the long. But what the Scriptures are telling us is if you will sacrifice in the short, if you, will, if, you will, if you will stay in bounds, you'll win in the long term. <clears throat> 
there's a lot of people looking at other people's lawns, right? The grass is greener. Yeah? Hey, the grass looks greener over there. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, though, isn't it? Boy, that grass looks really green. That grass looks really green. All along, your grass is dying. Right? Simple wisdom. Water your lawn. Yeah? Water your lawn. Stop going and eating at other restaurants. Start enjoying the food you got. It's like cultivating the palate, you know? Cultivating an enjoyment for this fine wine, for this beautiful piece of art. See, here's the deal. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. You choose who has your affections. You choose what will have your heart. You make that choice. And if you will literally rejoice in this person forever, they are enough, more than enough, to satisfy you in every area. Way more than enough. It's like, it's like you've got like acres and acres of beautiful landscape. Dude, don't go to other people's houses. Just stick with your own, you know? It's like you've got this massive treasure, inexhaustible, if you just stick with that one, you know? Got a really good restaurant. Just eat that food. And you'll find you'll never grow tired of that. The problem, the reason why we often have these issues of, of the grass looks greener on the other side or all these different issues that people begin to have. You know, I talk to men about this. You know, oh, you don't understand, man. No, no, you mean, I'm preaching the word, but they're thinking their experience, right? And they're like, hey, no, this is not happening in my life. It ain't happening in my marriage. I'm a Christian man. Like, yeah, but you're doing the word? I'm a Christian. Do you do the word? Do you do what he says? Well, you know? And, 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 <clears throat> and what we don't realize is that oftentimes the only reason why there's a, a, if you will say, looking at the grass is greener on the other side is because we're allowing our affections to go in that direction. See, if you're watching pornography, if you're fantasizing, if you're looking that place, that's, then your affections are going to go there. And it's going to rob you from enjoying what God has put right there in front of you. And so the scriptures simply t- command it right here. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. It's your choice. If, if, if a husband will, 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 will lavish his wife, adorn her with praise. The Song of Songs talks about adorning the bride, with praise. If you will do that, you will draw out of your spouse, specifically husbands to wives, you will draw out their beauty. Not only will they become increasingly more attractive to you, but you will literally adorn their beauty. I'm not saying you make your wife more beautiful or something like that. You just simply will draw it out. There was a story of a man who was, a, he was just this rich man. He comes into a, a village, and, uh, and he kind of, uh, everyone, he, they knew he wanted to get married, so they were like bringing all these uh, virgins by and all these, you know, beautiful women and everything. And he kind of looked over in the crowd and said, I want that girl. It was back in the day when they did that kind of thing, right? And so he paid the family lots of money for this girl. But everyone was like, what? Why are you doing that? You know, and she was the most comely, kind of just quiet, nobody really paid attention to her. They never thought she'd get married. That kind of person, which is sad that a society would think that way, but they were thinking that way. And this man said, no, I want, I want her. He goes and he takes her away and, you know, does his thing. And 10 years later, he comes back and he's got this good-looking wife under his arm. And everyone's like, whoa, 
man, you get rid of her, you get rid of the other one and got that one? And he and he's like, No, that's the same girl. And she was walking around confident, beautiful. What? He just drew it right out of her. That's what most men don't realize. They're looking other places. They're comparing their wives to other people. And they don't realize the problem's in them. Right? Wives do it too. They don't realize that the problem's inside here. The problem is not your spouse. The problem is not the, the, the outward appearance of your spouse. The problem is you. And if you would choose to rejoice in the wife of your youth, which means when you're 80, when you're 90, she's still the wife of your youth. You know what I'm saying? That's what I like to tell my wife. I'm like, yeah, I can't wait till we're like 80. You'll be the wife of my youth. I'm still going to be attracted to you. You want to know why I'm still going to be attracted to my wife? We'll be 90. Because she's the only menu I look at. She's the only restaurant I eat from. You flowing with me? Yeah? <laughs> See, to me, it just gets get better and better and better. And she gets more and more and more beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and I know there's some guy that's like, yeah, but look at her. I'm thinking, yeah, I know. <laughs> She's good looking. <laughs> but the problem is you. See, a man that does not see the beauty in his wife, that's the problem right there. You don't know what you have. You're letting your grass die, and you're looking at other people's lawns. And so, one last thing here. May you ever be captivated by her love. Literally, the word is intoxicated. Let her be the one that satisfies you. Let your spouse be the one that you go and get those needs met. You don't give your strength, you don't give your love to anything else, anyone else, but you go to that person and, and literally let her, I'm talking to men right now, captivate, intoxicate you with her love, with that passion. And wives, there is a special thing about wives, about women. You do have an ability to intoxicate, to entice, and that is a good thing. You can be grace to your husbands where they most need it. I'm not talking about your husband addicted, right, or looking at other people. I'm saying that in that mutual enjoyment, a husband and wife enjoying one another, 1 Corinthians 7 says, come together so that that Satan won't tempt you, right? That mutual enjoyment can be one of the greatest protections against the temptations. I'm not talking about, like I said, if if, if people are already addicted to stuff, we've got to deal with that, right? If your spouse is addicted to something, or they're looking at other people, or they're making jokes about other women, it's very inappropriate. And if they're doing that, that's their problem, and it has nothing to do with you. Right? You are beautiful and valuable. It has nothing to do with you. But listen to me. When a husband and wife will simply enjoy one another, right? if a husband will understand you're what I'm going to be intoxicated with, and the wife understands that, she can be the greatest grace to him, 
because she can woo him in. There's a power there. And there's a protection there that the scriptures call us to. I know that many of us, probably all of us have crossed the line, amen? (laughs) And many of us have really crossed the line. But what, did we, what have we said? The whole point of this series has been where sin abounds. Grace. Grace. All the more. See, can you get back in bounds? Hey, you just restart the, the play, right? That's what grace does. Brings restoration. Can you start over in your marriage? Right? Can you start over with the Lord? Yeah? Absolutely. That's what grace is about. You don't need a new marriage. You don't need to move to a new city. You don't need all that. Scriptures say that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, dead to sin, alive to God. You're the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 says you are holy and blameless in His sight. Holy and blameless in God's sight. That would mean blameless. That would mean without blame. Pure. That means if you're in Christ, and you've confessed that sin. You're a virgin. Now, let me tell you, your mind, your emotions, it's still jacked up. You need some help. <laughs> this is where this work and the strategies come in, okay? But before God, you are washed. You are cleansed. So don't live in that stuff any longer. That's why we want to get free. And so if any of you have been out of bounds... Just receive the grace of God. Get back in bounds. See, I believe that if you can get you get back in bounds, you do it God's way that we've been talking about. Begin to choose to rejoice in the wife of your youth. Begin to choose to be captivated by your spouse. Exclusive, mutual enjoyment. The Lord will pour out His blessing. What did that verse say? Let your fountain be blessed. Let your fountain be blessed. That's the blessing of God on it. And what is the fountain? It's the picture of mutualness, right? That God would come and say he puts his blessing on that where you're both serving one another. That's his blessing right there. And I believe if you'll bring, come into the light, let the Lord just wash you and cleanse you, break off the addictions, right? Not only can you say, hey, yay, amen, Jesus loves me and I'm righteous, but you can walk in that reality. You can experience those blessings right here, right now. And so whether it's in a relationship that you're in right now, right? And you're revving the engine. You don't need a new relationship necessarily. You need to get some accountability, some help. We all do. And you need to receive the grace of God. and Put His standards in your relationship. And you don't have to be like, oh no, we're going to be judged by God. No, just turn and repent. Just deal with it right now. This isn't about the past necessarily. This isn't about beating ourselves up for what has happened. This is about receiving the grace and the wisdom of God so that today we make a choice to receive His blessings rather than continue to walk in our foolish ways. You see what I'm saying? So whatever's gone behind you, forget what is behind. Let's press on for the reward that God has for us. Let's receive the grace of God.
say, throw it off. So if it's in your marriage, start anew. Purity. If you're single, you say, man, but I really blew it. I'm single now, but I've really blown it. Can God do this in me? Can, can I enter into my marriage as a, as, as, as a virgin? Right? Can I, can I, can I um, see, have these blessings or am I just doomed? You're not doomed at all. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You just simply need to receive His grace and walk in this reality now. Make this choice now. Those of you who are single, you need to start choosing this now and begin to set your affections on Jesus and begin to become a kind of person that serves rather than takes, that is singular-minded. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Stand up with me and let's, uh, let's just give ourselves to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just close your eyes with me and, and picture, picture that woman who was caught in adultery. This woman brought to Jesus, and what did Jesus say to her? He looked her in the eyes, and he said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He spoke the word of forgiveness. He, he empowered her by his grace to walk in freedom. Just look into the eyes of Jesus right now. Just take a moment to just imagine what it would sound like to have Jesus speak the word of forgiveness over you. Let the Lord speak that to you today. Look into His eyes. Eyes that have no condemnation. Eyes that love you. Eyes of grace. And listen to the voice of the Lord as He says to you, I don't condemn you. I came to give life. Listen to the Lord as He said, I have forgiven you. Now go and sin no more. Let, let His love for you empower you and motivate you to walk in purity. There was a woman that was so broken, had given herself to so many men. She had become even demonized. And Jesus loved her. Jesus forgave her. And when Jesus was eating at a meal, she came and fell at His feet Just close your eyes and imagine this woman who had been wronged by people, who had given her body to people, trying to find love in all these different ways. And Jesus sets her free from demonic powers. He heals her body and her spirit. He makes her pure and cleansed. And out of just an abundance of gratefulness comes, she falls at his feet. And she begins to weep over his feet. She wets his dirty feet with her tears wipes his feet with her hair and pours oil over him. And he looks at her and says, Woman, your sins are forgiven you. Go in peace. Just imagine right now every sin washed away, totally restored by the Lord. Imagine all that stuff just falling off you, all that weight falling off you. As you simply confess. Maybe you're even married right now and you're struggling with something that did happen 10 years ago. If you'll just confess it before the Lord, it's done. It's under the blood. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what the Lord wants us to do is come and fall at His feet. So just come to the Lord right now. Receive His forgiveness and His grace. 
and come and fall at his feet and pour out thankfulness to him. Pour out love and worship. So Jesus, right now, we consecrate our bodies to you right now. Just, just between you and the Lord, tell him, I give you my body. I give you my life to serve glorify you, Lord. I receive your grace and your forgiveness that frees me and now empowers me to live a life of holiness. Consecrate your relationship right now. Just tell the Lord, I consecrate this relationship that I'm in. I give it to you. Let your will be done. Not my will, Lord, but your will. Tell Him. If you're serious, give Him the relationship. Stop trying to find a loophole. Stop trying to do it your way. Say, Lord, your will in this relationship. Consecrate your marriage to the Lord right now. Consecrate the marriage bed to Him as pure. Say, Lord, no more defilement in my mind or in my heart. No more defilement in the bed. We want pure marriage bed. And we want it to be full of pleasure from God and the blessing of God. Make that decision right now. Maybe even you're here with with somebody you're in a relationship with. Maybe as we're worshiping, either you would come up and get prayer or, or just you guys. Or maybe later today, you would pray and consecrate that relationship to the Lord. And make this decision. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Spirit.